thank you for letting me join your space here. Thank uh, you for coming. Yeah, I'm excited. We crossed paths at the festival in Bloomsburg, Mac and Cheese Fest, and I, you were posted up next to me with all your furniture. I was playing some music that day, and I saw nonprofit furniture company and I'm like what's what's going on here <laughs> and I got introduced to Nick first I just uh-huh. wanted to say hello and ask what was going on and then he uh he guided me to you to introduce uh, me to you and then you found out that you're also were a med spouse as well so yeah. I'm like this is just blowing my mind right now <laughs> somebody that's doing good in the community that is uh you know a, a very repurposing furniture for somebody is yeah. just, uh, is incredible. And I was reading a testimonial this morning and it said that, you know, there's a family that's been on the streets for a while. They finally, these two little girls got to have a couch and I'm just like, I've started choking up. I'm just reading this. Te- I don't know who, the, I, don't, I don't know these people, but I know what <laughs> impact having furniture that is nice and refurbished and is so important just to have the, like the feng shui of your life together. Yeah. Yeah. When you like look around, we we just put up curtains last week in our living room, and I'm like, wow, this feels like a it home now. It changes everything. Yeah, <laughs> like it feels good. I'm like, I want to sit here and yeah. relax. So, mm-hmm. so what brought you? How did you get to this point? Was it like from an early age? You're like, it's going to be furniture, or did this like come up as you were trying to figure out a way to give back to the community? Because I've seen your experience mm-hmm. in community relations is deep. Mm-hmm. So where did this all start? Yeah, I mean, so. When I look back at my whole my whole career at this point, I've been in existence. I've been most passionate about housing, housing rights. Um, you know, having a roof over your head is the most basic of human needs, and it is mo- the most deserved thing. And so, I have had opportunities in my career to work in homeless shelters and work. Um, you know, really witness these these issues that I really care about firsthand and really get to know the people that have experienced these, these hardships. My story actually begins and Dig's story begins when I was super young. Um, my parents got a divorce. I was raised in Mifflinburg. So just a few miles from here in Milton. Um, and you know, I'm still extremely close to both my parents. However, through the divorce, my mom found herself for the most majority of the time raising me and my brother on her own. And there was a time, especially when the divorce was fresh, that we needed furniture. And of course, I was three or four at the time. I didn't know the need, let alone appreciate the the help that we got. But we ended up, because of the community that my mom and parents built in Mifflinburg, our neighbors that we just knew or people we went to church with, um, they knew of our, our need and they rallied around and helped us, you know, and I don't think that's something super uncommon when you have those built communities. Um, but when you don't, it's an unfathomable situation to be able to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we'll tell you one second, Siri. Siri. You just (laughs) stop it. Um, (laughs) it's an unfathomable situation when you are in need of these expensive, but crucial pieces and you don't have community to rely on. So anyway, um, you know, my family got the benefit um, of getting, you know, a dining table from our our neighbors and friends. We got a couch and a TV. And again, I didn't appreciate those things at the time. But I know looking back on my upbringing, I wasn't embarrassed to have sleepovers. I could make memories with my brother. You know, we did sumo wrestling with couch cushions. That was our favorite game growing up. It was very silly, but like 
without these everyday things, I couldn't have made the memories and developed into the person that I am today. So, um, that was my experience. And I think, you know, seeing the generosity of community and, you know, especially my mom, her raising us with very clear values, you know, I've always been engaged in community service and, wanting to be in the nonprofit world, but I didn't know that it would be in the furniture world, right? And But I knew that, you know, I was really engaged in, interested in housing. Um, so fast forward several, several years, I went to college, I graduated from University of Maryland and moved out to Oregon. That's where I got my first job at a family homeless shelter. And we ended up working really closely with a furniture bank in Portland, Oregon. And that's where I had my aha moment where I discovered this model of furniture banks that was so cool. I got to see firsthand the families that we were finding, helping find housing with at the shelter, go into this space and be able to just pick whatever they want for free and furnish their entire home for free. And it was such an empowering and exciting time for these families that have been through the unimaginable that, you know, I knew it all, it all clicked for me. I, I knew I either wanted to work for a furniture bank one day or start one if the need was there. I never thought it would be back here in my hometown area. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I found myself back here um, and I was working for a local nonprofit called Union Snyder Community Action Agency during COVID. And we were housing people and we were as a staff asking like, hey, does anybody have an extra microwave? This family really needs one. Or hey, couch, crib, all these emails. And I was seeing other organizations do it. And this furniture bank idea was always living in the back of my mind. So when COVID hit, I was working from home and my boss at Community Action Agency was like, yeah, start to collect furniture, like, you know, in between meetings, <laughs> like build this thing because we need it, you know? And, um, she was incredibly supportive and it just grew from there. So it's been three years and, um, I'm doing dig full time now and, uh, where we have a referral agency network of over 40 local nonprofits, school districts, churches, even doctor's offices, um, that we work with to connect families that are in need of furniture to that to those items. Gotcha. That's awesome. So that is, that's like an intake for people that are in need of the furniture. Um, so that you're trying to connect to other places in the community where those people might see that or get the, uh, referral to then meet with you to then come pick out some furniture here. Exactly. Yeah. So our, our thought process behind the referral. So when I set up dig, I wanted it to be as little barriers as possible because I did witness being a nonprofit, for about 10 years in various nonprofits, there's a lot of red tape behind red nonprofits. And it's really hard sometimes to get the help you need. So I wanted to build Dig in a way that it was accessible for folks that needed it most. So our only two requirements for eligibility is that they live in Union, Snyder, or Northumberland counties, and that they're referred to us um, by a referral agency. And so the idea behind these referral agencies is DIG is just a one-time service. We come in, we provide the things that the family needs, and we leave. We want to make sure that families are connected and stay connected to services that will help them continue to thrive. I know that a couch isn't going to, you know, bring someone to prosperity, you know, and, and stability, um, but it is a piece that is really key to that. Um, and we want to make sure that 
the clients we serve are connected, stay connected to agencies. So that's the idea behind that referral agency piece. I, yeah, I think it's just, it's like a long term, like the impact that the couch that you got when your parents had split mm-hmm. up and you got that couch and you could like be your plane with your brother. And uh, it's just that long term impact is just uh, incredible. I think I saw on your year to date stats, like you've served, I don't know how many families this year, 74 different families. Is that just this year alone? Just this year alone. Yeah. Okay. Um, last year we served around 300 families. Wow. Um, yeah. And I mean, compared to the beginning of 2022, like the, the stats graph that you made on Facebook, it looks like this year's already taken off. Oh, it's off, already like, taking off. So yeah. you can feel it building already? The, Definitely. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, incredible. a lot of that has to do with our um, continued fundraising efforts that help us purchase new beds for families. So right now, we can't accept used mattresses because we can't properly disinfect them and to redistribute, but we're hoping to be able to get there soon with this new space. Um, cool. But yeah, so the more funding we're getting in, I mean, it's supporting our new space and our growth internally, but also helping us purchase new more, more new beds for families too. So that's a one just small example of how we've really been able to increase our impact. But yeah, more volunteers. We have a, a delivery truck now, a 12-foot box truck that you might be able to see right out our window. <laughs> um, and we have a part-time um, driver that is paid, which is so exciting, that's able to be on the truck in the truck more on the road making deliveries. So it's all capacity building and it's all happening and it's so exciting. Yeah, how do you keep track of all this? I mean, it's like, <laughs> is this, is this a lot of it like ad hoc? Are you, yeah. like, you, you, have the, you have the vision and then you are you're just finding the right things that you need to do to then unlock the next step. Like, you know, you're talking about disinfecting a bed yeah. and that's going to cost money and you have right. to figure out a way to get this source of money to then do this thing to unlock the ability to then make the bed process smoother for people. Right. Cause it's, yeah. it, is that cheaper than having to like buy new beds all the time oh, or yeah. like less so, waste? And yeah, I mean, definitely less, less waste, which is a huge part of our mission too. the secondary part, you know, so many things are thrown to the landfill that, families can absolutely use and enjoy for years and years. Um, but yeah, so, uh, on average, a new bed that we purchase for a family is around $250. A lot of times, most of the time, everybody in the family, if one person needs a bed, everybody does. A lot of times too, we're serving family households that are four people or more, you know, if eight people need a bed in just one household, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. the the ability to be able to accept used mattresses soon is going to be huge for us. But yeah, it is really hard to all keep track of it. <laughs> I think uh, having a passion is is a huge part of, of the key to success. And also the community we've built. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, between our board of directors, our various committees, our volunteers that come weekly, sometimes even daily, you know, these are the people that keep me on my toes and hold me accountable and make sure our goals are being met and share amazing ideas. And, you know, it, it definitely is not just me. (laughs) And that's, that's really a big part of it too, is just moving along with the crew. Yeah. I (laughs) like that. That's that's great. (laughs) Um, okay. So let's pretend that you are not limited by any money. Mm -hmm. You have unlimited power to move mountains Mm -hmm. or anything. What would be the direction that you would start going in? With dig? With dig. Great question. Very yeah, fun question. I mean, we can take you can take twenty five seconds to just like internalize it for a second and uh-huh. think about it, or we could talk about something different, or I could try to like take up some time just rambling here, or whatever you want to do. But yeah. uh, we, I like to ask that question. We did that in uh, in manufacturing. Would be like, okay, if we were not bound, because people yeah. are worried about money, we're like, yeah. okay, well, 
we're, you know, we have this that we want to unlock and then we're going to be able to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we had like, you know, the unlimited credit card to just do whatever Mm -hmm. it was, like Mm -hmm. what would be that thing that you would, that you would start to do? I mean, it's kind of awesome to have this question and have this answer because it's on the trajectory of where we're going right now. It's the ultimate dream for me when I was setting up dig just three years ago was to be able to create a physical space where families can enter and feel welcome, celebrated. Having housing is such a huge thing to celebrate and have fun with. So having a space where families can come and shop for free and not feel, you know, concerned about the stigma behind needing assistance. We all do. Um, but that physical space is so important for me. And we're creating that here in Milton. And it has, you know, it's been a road and I know that it's going to be a longer road even. Um, but it's, it's, it's that I, I, I mean, I really, I know that there's more to come even after we open up our physical storefront, but I don't know that I, I know what it could be Mm -hmm. yet to be honest with you. So yeah, I think, you know, my whole dream with all of this was to create a space where people can come in and pick because that self-agency is so important to feeling dignified and, you know, like you're worth it. Um, and so that's really important. That's the behind the scenes, whole motivation behind dig. So yeah, I don't know. I, I like guess that. it's cool that we're yeah. Yeah, you're living. <laughs> we're on that track and yeah. uh, that's pretty amazing in just three years. So yeah, I guess uh, ask me that question in three more years okay. and I'm sure I'll have a totally different answer. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just like from being in this uh, area um, and not being open to all the good things that were happening, I my gut feeling is that there are people out there now that are dormant to the fact that you're doing such great stuff. Yeah. I mean, you have social media and it it is a thin veil about what's actually going on underneath mm-hmm. and you do an excellent job and like, I mean, your websites and Facebook looks great, your graphics and whatnot yeah. too. And there's so much more underneath that of like the action that you are conducting your business to helping other people. Yeah. And I think highlighting that kind of stuff, instead of reading the newspaper, like, Oh, the crime's up again. Oh, great. Oh gosh, like yeah. th- there's yeah. so many other good yeah. things happening that, uh, is just, uh, I'm thankful to get to know you and talk Thank with you. you about this. Um, it's, uh, it's inspiring me. I mean, even just, I barely know you, I've, <laughs> you know, I met you like a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and it just helps me stay motivated because a lot of times I'm like, oh, like, is, is what I'm doing important and yeah. is, am I making the most value I can with what skills I have to give back yeah. for what, for what people have helped me out with too. Mm-hmm. So I uh, appreciate the work that you do. Thank as you. Well. And I mean, that's not to say that I don't wake up some days feeling totally unmotiv- unmotivated and also just really bummed about what's going on in the world around me. Yeah. However, again, that physical space that we're building, I mean, we're incorporating bright pops of obnoxious color in here. If you've seen our website, you know that our color is this bright, loud chartreuse color. And there's a reason for that. You know, I think our world needs a bit of optimism and acceptance and welcoming. Um, And so it helps me to be in this physical space too, when I do feel overwhelmed with what's happening around me, because there is some really amazing stuff happening. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in, I can't, one bite at a time, right? Like I can't solve the whole world's problems. You can't solve the whole world's problems, our country's problems. But if we look at our small communities and this area is such a good example of that, 
bit by bit, you know, we can create a ripple effect. And that's what I'm really motivated Mm -hmm. by, you know, like creating this, this idealistic way of treating people and just our small, you know, for dig our three county territory. And if that's going to make someone feel better about themselves, like hopefully that will then grow, grow and grow. And so that's kind of my big motivation too, but I like that. It can be rough out there. Yeah, yeah. Have <laughs> yeah. you ever heard of the star thrower um, like parable or story? Uh-uh, no. Uh, so there's this like boy that's throwing starfish back into the ocean. You've heard this? Yes, I oh, have. Oh, yeah, heard yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, and, and then, you know, some guy comes over and he's like, you know, you're not going to make an impact here. Yeah. Because there's thousands of starfish. So what are you going to like? You're just throwing one back in. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, you know, that eventually other people start joining and throwing the starfish back and then the problem gets solved later on. So, I mean, right. this is like, to get past the short term uh, feeling that this doesn't have benefit mm-hmm. and you just kind of like let that go. Mm-hmm. And like with what you've been able to accomplish in three years and the families that you've helped the 300 last year, 74 this year is, uh, you know, is making a larger impact than that you can even like you can't measure that. Yeah. That's unmeasurable, which is great. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think it is unmeasurable. Yeah. That's a, it's a hard part too about, you know, running a nonprofit because there's a lot of measurement needs, <laughs> yeah. right? But like, you know, we're, we're figuring out right now, how can we continue to tell the story of dig so that we can create measurable outcomes of like this couch, this bed, having tools to create your own meals at home rather than getting fast food every day. How does that have an impact on on a family's stability and and overall health? Um, so that's really it's that's an exciting piece for me to really dive into too, and really seeing that um, the bigger picture of impact too. That's great. Yeah. At what, yeah. Yeah. What like measure? Is there anything that exists right now that you look at to see like what's? Uh... Yeah, we we do have a survey that we send out to to clients, but un, for reasons I totally understand. I mean. I am 100% guilty of being on a phone call. Hey, just hang on one second. Stay on the line for a survey. And I'm like, no, nope, yeah, I'll yeah, hang up. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. But we, we do send those surveys out to our clients. So we do get a handful back. Um, and we ha- we've been working with some groups. Like we've worked with some groups from Bucknell University, for example, to help us develop some more, um, you know, tangible outcomes, um, surveys, that kind of stuff to really show the efficacy of, of our, our programs. And we're actually plugged into a whole national network of furniture banks, which is really awesome. We have gotten a lot of mentorship and guidance from, you know, big uh, furniture banks in Portland, Oregon, like I had mentioned, or Boston, Massachusetts, or, you know, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, it's it's cool to be able to see what works. There are uh, most of the furniture banks I've been connected with are much bigger than us. They've been around much longer. Uh, they are in more, much more urban areas. But what we all have in common is we are all struggling for that outcome piece and really getting, you know, our work on the table of being considered as a crucial piece to housing stability. Um, you know, there is a huge, huge, huge need across the country for for housing programs, and so furniture banks have not really gotten the the cred that we think we deserve. So we're all working together to, to really create that narrative. So cool. yeah, it's cool. It's exciting. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so let's switch gears for cool. a second yeah, um, to residency. <laughs> residency. Cause this is the people that will be listening <laughs> to this, uh, maybe currently in residency, yeah. maybe have uh, gone beyond that too. Um, what was your experience like? In residency, were you were over in Danville? 
So no, we actually, when uh, my husband went through residency, he was up in Williamsport at UPMC. Okay. Um, and we, but we bought a house just at the beginning of his residency in Lewisburg. So I had... I had the luxury of, you know, being in Lewisburg, just minutes away from both of my parents, you know, also minutes away from where I grew up. So um, he was the one that really made that change. He's from outside of Philadelphia and Doylestown. So he, we met when he was finishing up med school and had, had just so happened without knowing me, applied to the Williamsport residency program. Thank God he got in. It all just like the stars aligned so perfectly for for all of that. And so he was really excited. It was one of his top choices, regardless of me and us. But um, Thank you, algorithm. Holy moly. Shout out to Hinge. I mean... <laughs> that was that was a uh, that was how we met. Oh wow! Uh, the so dating app, yeah, yeah so was, <laughs> like the uh, literal yeah. algorithm. <laughs> yeah, you needed the algorithm of the match, and then you had the algorithm yeah. of the app that too. too. Yeah, yeah, we're wow. big algorithm crew over here. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he was in residency for three years, and it did, and that's also when I started dig. And when COVID hit, wow. I mean, it was oh, okay. a gotcha, wild gotcha. whirlwind of all the things. I'm seeing the timing now of everything. Yeah. Okay. I think he started residency in 2019. Yeah. 2019. Um, and then COVID hit. Dig was founded in March of 2020. Um, oh, so you started this while you guys were yeah. in residency. Yeah. Oh, wow, we okay. sure did. Oh, wow, wow. So it was pretty amazing. And we actually, I, I started it from our house in Lewisburg. So he gave up his party barn that we like to call it in the backyard and I stored all the furniture in there. Um, and so I think for me, dig was a really good, it was a good distraction for many reasons, but especially like through the hardships of residency, you know, we were talking before we started recording about it can be lonely for spouses, especially going through residency and really frustrating for the person going through residency mm-hmm. um, because, you know, Nick missed out on so much of like social opportunities. He was new to this area. I had friends here already established and he couldn't come out and hang out with us. And and that was hard for him and hard for me, too, because I was so excited to show off my new boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> but but. You know, we we made it work. Um, but yeah, I mean, starting Dig was a good distraction, again, for both of us, again, through residency and COVID. Um, and it seemed, you know, in the, in the middle of residency, it was like, oh my God, this is never going to end. Like, he's gone all the time. But now I look back on it and it seemed like it was so quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, we did it. And, and it feels really good now. Yeah, so, that's great. And so yeah. now with this new location, does he have his party barn back? He does. Okay. I'm I'm very happy to say that he does have his party barn back. I think he's uh trying to build it out a little bit more to make it more officially a party barn, but it is back and operable. That's great. I'm glad yeah. you were fine uh, able to just all the the whole timeline of everything is just great. I mean, yeah. it, it, everything's just like lining up for yeah. you and it seems like the what what you are doing, even though it's hard to measure, is measurable because you are getting more referrals. You have like you know, this new building you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's all good stuff. I'm yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I also just want to say, in terms of you know being married to a resident and doing this work and being really plugged into the nonprofit world, Nick has been so awesome about and just his whole experience in the medical field 
about connecting what I'm doing with Dig to what he's doing in the office. And, you know, social determinants of health is such a huge buzzword right now. Um, and it's so, it's exactly like what we're both doing. So it's really cool to, you know, kind of see how we merge in our careers. Um, but he oftentimes, you know, he'll have a conversation with a patient in his office and they'll tell him, you know, they're suffering from chronic back pain, for example, and through conversation because Nick is so dedicated and loves rural health because he feels like he has the opportunity to really get to know his patients. So through conversation, getting to know, um, his patients, he might find out that that person has chronic back pain because they don't have a bed or they're, you know, sleeping on their recliner or the floor, you know. And so he and he was he's the reason why we're trying to reach out to more medical practices to form partnerships so that we can catch people in those conversations. Because I do think a lot of folks, especially in this area, have that, you know, stigma, fear of, you know, being judged if they need help. But through the connections and relationships that doctors and patients can build, those conversations and needs start to come out. So it's been really fun to, you know, brainstorm together about ways that, you know, Dig can help his patients and he can help Dig's clients and, you know, just working together on that. So it's been, it's been really, really neat. The social determinants of health. I, yeah. Yeah, I believe in that. Yeah. If yeah. You, if you, you know, like uh, when I talk about residency, and explain it to people, you know, it's 80% work, 20% life. Mm -hmm. If that 20% life isn't, you know, is not thriving, then you're leaving work and going back to a, a home that might like, okay, so maybe I lost my sense of belonging because I'm not a doctor. So mm -hmm. then I, I feel like I'm left out or something. So then that's the, that becomes the vibe of the house. Right. All right. So then, right. then now you have a hundred percent of the time where things are kind of iffy. Yeah. Um, so for, yeah, for anyone too, like, you know, you, you need a place that is, uh, that when you go home, you can decompress from things and, uh, yeah, that's exactly. uh, social determinants of health. I like that. I haven't heard that term yet. That's, yeah. Yeah. That makes, I that mean, makes a lot of sense. it's, it's that concept of like what food, food scarcity is a huge piece of, of the social determinants of health. You know, mm -hmm. there's, uh, more and more doctors are doing screenings about, you know, food security and, um, what are you eating? You know, what, where are you getting your food? Are you able to afford it? And so there's been some really exciting conversations in this area about how, again, how can medical practices connect better, make referrals to other nonprofits, um, to just make that, that piece more connected. Um, I was actually just listening to just coincidentally a podcast, um, this morning at NPR's podcast, and they were talking about, um, how poverty and discrimination has such a negative effect on on the health of people who are experiencing those things and how, you know, that daily stress of living in poverty, it breaks down the cells. It's, you know, the, there was this woman that did the study. It's literally breaking down the cells and the, the functionality of your body. And, yeah. like, you just don't think of that in a day-to-day -day living. I don't think people that experience these hardships think of that day to day, but it really is so much bigger than just, you know, having some money in your pocket or not. You yeah, know, it's, it's yeah, connected yeah. to everything. Yeah. Like it can literally alter the, your like physical body. Your with physical stress. body. Yeah. I mean like pregnancies, you think about, you know, heart conditions, there's just so much at risk when you're going through the stuff that Dig sees every day. So yeah. It's been interesting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking yeah, with me about this. Thank you. I could you. talk for hours about this with you. I think it's really good. Um, and, uh, you know, 
just I'm glad that we can share what you're doing with our group and see if anybody would be interested in helping volunteer, right? You're taking volunteers. Volunteer, absolutely. I saw what's, what's the tool uh, shop or something you can yeah. get going. And- so we're, so we are completely under construction in this new space in Milton. It's huge. You saw it, Pat. I mean, and part of it um, is a repair shop that we are creating. So we get a lot of stuff that, you know, mostly hardwood stuff that has stickers like dressers that have stickers all over it or missing knobs or, you know, just is scratched up. And we want to make sure everything that we provide to the families that come here gets some really nice stuff because dignity, that's what we stand for. Um, so we have volunteers that just want to tinker in the tool shed, not necessarily talk to anyone. I don't, I don't judge you. (laughs) (laughs) You can come in our tool shed and tinker away. We have so much stuff that needs a little bit of TLC. So that's one example we have. Um, organizing out the wazoo to do we have once we're open i'm really excited to introduce a personal shopper volunteer opportunity that will walk clients through our space and just help them pick out stuff and design their new homes so lots lots of volunteer opportunities um donations obviously we thrive off of donations we exist because of donations so we have a whole list of everything we take and don't take listed on our website it's so clear too for like what you oh, need good, to do good good i mean you're like your your graphics and instructions are like you know even with the curtain rods making sure yeah. those are like bundled up <laughs> yeah it's just good it's just all clear good like, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the goal and again you know good rule of thumb if you would give it to you know we we're looking for good quality stuff so if you give it to a family member you can bring it to dig that kind of vibe like making sure things are clean so that, you know, when the next family gets it, they don't feel like they're getting a dirty toaster oven, you know? Yeah. yeah, So everything's on our website. We do try to make it as easy as possible. Um, And we also have a fundraiser coming up in July, July 22nd. It's called Fresh Start. And we are asking people from the community to sign up to be an artist and upcycle a piece of furniture to then auction off and help us raise money. So it's a really kind of exciting, creative opportunity for for people that, again, like to tinker or, you know, you were saying your mom upcycles pillows, you know, anything that we can do to take things out of the landfill. Um, And then people that that buy the pieces, you know, they'll have something in their home that symbolizes the work that Dig does. So So cool. Yeah, that's July 22nd. We're now taking... a big event coming up. Next big event, yeah. We're taking... Uh, artist registration is open now on our website so you don't have to have any experience just be creative have fun with it and do it with a good heart so yeah um if people are into that too that's another way to get involved great yeah all right well thank you thank you and we'll we'll love to talk to you again sometime cool yes i'm in for it (laughs) thanks